0: Has it been any experience where you're like, man, fuck this?
1: Yeah, like rock climbing, like literally up a a real mountain. Okay. Like I was in the Adirondacks, upstate New York, and literally just my hands and my feet going 75 feet up to the top you'll realize like, man, I'm like diagonal on the rock. Like, how is my body even able to do this right now?
2: That was something I did. And was like, ah,
1: I'll never do this again. This is the only reason I'm doing it is so that it shows that other people can do it that look like me. But outside of that, yeah, that, yeah, you won't see me get back up there.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to Stuck with Damon Young, the show where we don't have wanderlust because we have post-traumatic brokenness disorder and deep financial trauma. But maybe, maybe that's just me giving myself permission to be a wimp and keep my horizons unexpanded. So even though I've never particularly been into it myself, I've long admired the people who can just travel to Africa or Europe or Asia, or even Cincinnati with just a backpack and a Snickers bar and be able to thrive. And to talk about international travel and the process of my own anxieties about it, I'm joined today by Jeff Jenkins host of National Geographic's travel series, Never Say Never, for an extremely fun and lively conversation about our own anxieties, about travel, about some stereotypically Black anxieties about travel, and about just how Jeff has been able to build the life that he's been able to build. And then, for dear David, we're joined by the brilliant writer and educator, Dr. Bettina Love, as we help advise a college student and prospective writer worried that there will be no writing-related jobs left when they graduate. All right, y'all. Let's get it. Jeff Jenkins is a travel journalist and the host of National Geographic series, Never Say Never. Jeff, what's good, man?
1: Nothing much. I'm excited to be here with you today, brother.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see you. So growing up as a kid, we never went on vacations. You know, we didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. I'm from Pittsburgh, PA. I live in Pittsburgh. And for us, a vacation was going to Newcastle, P.A., which is 60 Mm -hmm. miles from the city, Hanging out with my uncles, my cousins, my aunts, you know what I mean? My family up there. Maybe we might go to Youngstown, Ohio, which is an hour and a half away. Mm -hmm. But we weren't getting on no planes. We weren't taking no road trips. We weren't doing nothing like that. And so I feel like this trepidation may be cultivated in anxiety Mm. about travel Mm -hmm. that has continued into adulthood. Like I'll travel if there's an event, Yeah, you know what I mean? Like I just came from Birmingham um, a couple of weeks ago for NAPJ, but traveling for the sake of traveling is just something that I've just, I just don't have wanderlust. And I feel like there's a deficit there because there's an anxiety and there's also, I think some financial trauma behind that anxiety. And so I'm curious, like for someone like me who maybe wants to, I guess be more comfortable exploring. Mm-hmm. How would you suggest I go about doing that?
1: Yeah, so I feel like I've been raised somewhat the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did go on some trips. Some of them was just to visit family, um, but it was always in a car. So I never got on my first airplane until I was twenty years old, um, and it was actually to go to Japan. So it was a a rude awakening oh, wow. when it comes down okay. to like my experience of like just traveling internationally. Mm-hmm. And I just realized that my older sister, I took her to Germany last October and it was her first time going somewhere internationally that was outside of a cruise and she had a lot of anxiety and for her to be almost 40 years old. And having this kind of anxiety, but I, at this time I've been traveling 16, 17 years internationally. I really started asking her questions like, wow, like talk to me, like, how are you feeling? Like, what is this feeling that you're having? Mm -hmm. And it was more so just that fear of the unknown, not knowing like what to expect being isolated or embarrassed to be in another place? Will I get lost? Will I not be able to make it back home? So it was like all of these different things that were coming up. And so it made me think to myself of like, what did I do? And, and in some ways, it was I always thought about the destination. I thought about the fun that I was going to have in the destination mm-hmm. and and also just stepping outside of my comfort zone. Uh, it was on that trip that I learned that phrase, life begins where your comfort zone ends, uh, when I went to Japan. And my mentor at the time that was there, we were literally the the second day in Japan, he was like, y'all are going to go do a scavenger hunt around this city here in Yokosuka, Japan. And I was like, wait, 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 bro! Like what you, <laughs> what, what you about to make me do? Like <laughs> go around the city. Like I just got here. I don't speak mm. any Japanese. I don't know anything about this city. So I have no bearings. Uh, we came straight to the base. So we went from the airport to the base. It's not like I even got to like ride around the city. So he was like, nah, you finna, you finna learn this thing. And so it was that lesson that taught me, man, you just got to go out there and do it. Um, just as I can try it and figure out how to navigate my way through America is the same way you can do in any other international country. And it's just fun, like, man, to explore and be adventurous. It brings out sides of you that you never thought. So it's, to me, it's like, think about the, the fun and, and all the, the wonder less that you can have by doing this.
0: That's a really great point about how, you know, life begins when your comfort zone ends. Am I getting that right? Mm-hmm. Am I paraphrasing? Yeah. I got yeah. it right. All right. Yeah, you did. And um, like my first international trip, I was 19 and we went to Italy summer after my freshman year. Um, And I had been on planes before, basketball-related stuff. I played basketball, mm-hmm. in high school and college. Okay. And um, so road trips, AU trips, things of that nature. But in terms of like an international trip, Italy, we were in Rome. And I just remember, you know, me and like some of my teammates would be out at night just going through the city. Um, You know, I mean, just just finding ourselves getting into shit. And Rome is one of them Mm -hmm. cities where there's still like two, three o'clock at night. There's still like shops open. There's still restaurants open. There's still clubs opening. Yeah. You know what I mean? At that time of night. So to that end, I'm trying to unpack where the anxiety that I still have, Mm -hmm. where it comes from. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it, it also has to do with money. Yeah. Because again, now I am traveling a bit more because of events or, you know, I'm going to speak here. I'm going to visit here, whatever. But I think that this, there is like this financial trauma, right. That has carried Mm -hmm. over, um, to a place where I don't really need to have it anymore, but I'm still carrying it. Yeah. And so for someone who maybe wants to travel, right. But doesn't think that they have the means to be able to travel
1: mm-hmm.
0: how would you advise that person or better yet how would you advise like the 24 year old me <laughs> you yeah, know I me mean, who had no money living with their parents but wants to travel but if you could get over this hump there's this whole like new experience that's out there that could be rewarding and enriching if you just find a way to get over that hump
1: that's a great question and I, and I definitely get you. So it's, is it, that hump is really more so like, what what are you spending your money on? Um, cause it's not that you don't have money at times, like for some people, some people don't have money. Like you feel me? Like, like literally doesn't have it, but it's like, what are you spending your money on? Uh, and that's something that I had to start noticing for myself. Do I want the designer shoes? Do I want the designer clothes? Um, because instead of buying these hundred dollar, two hundred dollar pair of pants or outfit, I can go get a, a plane ticket for that price, you know? But what are you um, gonna wear?
0: But what are you gonna I mean, you don't got if you don't got the fit, hey man, what are you now, gonna wear when you get over hey, here?
1: Hey, okay, see, and I, okay, and I get you on that, man. That's that's that I feel like that's that Instagram side of it. Like I feel you, but it's more so Instagram and be on that sense, like I don't I don't know, like the only reason I like dress up and stuff like that is because I'm getting paid. This is my business. Like mm-hmm. this, I get, I can tax write off majority of this stuff compared to the to the average traveler. But to me, like back in the day when I was just backpacking around, man, we wore the same like outfits multiple times. We just washed them mm-hmm. over and over again, and so. It really is Depending on like Your love for traveling You saying 24 24 is still a great age To backpack Like mm-hmm. that's when There's all the discounts Still like Until like 26 27 If you were to go To like Europe Or uh, or Japan Or somewhere over there To where You're getting Super discounts Because you're still Like a college student age mm-hmm. um, But yeah man To me it wasn't about Like looking fresh It was about me Exploring new cultures And learning new things So but it, once again That, that hump is more so like really trying to figure out like because the thing is like i was i was finding ways to not go out to eat um Mm -hmm. if i had to eat sandwiches at home like just to save money so that when i get to go to these other places uh i'll be able to afford it um and if you go to like southeast asia like it was so much like affordable compared to like being in the states Mm -hmm. my two dollars go way further in Philippines or in, in Vietnam than it would if I was in Chicago or New York or even Pittsburgh, you know? And so it's like to me, I got to live like a king uh in these other countries because uh the dollar went further. So it's just like you figuring out a way. I always tell people, man, I got a friend who um he has a whole like two, two or three books and then a whole travel like website called nomadicmat.com um, uh-huh. com where you can like learn how to like budget like your money and be able to spend less than $50 a day being in the destination.
0: You know, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, basically just having your priorities straight. Cause Mm -hmm. I I like, even as I'm talking about, you know, not having money and not being able to, you know, not, not having the willingness, but also not having the means there were Mm -hmm. women. And it was always women. All right. It was mostly women who I knew at that age who were like, like making nine dollars an hour for to going to Japan, <laughs> you know what I mean to going to Brazil it's like yo how how are you doing this? Like how are you able to afford this and And it comes down to again, as you were saying, to saving and making you know and prioritizing the travel, you know what I yeah. mean, not necessarily prioritizing the you know the fit or you know or whatever else that you spend your disposable income on, but saving that and making the to travel the priority,
1: yeah. And, and, and that's, that's so true. And I've done it. I know multiple people that have done it and people that are still doing it now, even influencers, like the business of influencer, travel influencers, like the way that they got, a, um, not even Rob Peter to pay Paul. Cause some of them are definitely not doing that, but they learn how to like travel hack, like getting those credit cards. You're 24 years old, 24 year olds can get credit cards and like, whatever your day to day spending was that that reward that can like if you get one of the travel reward cards in the sense the money that you spend on a day to day can go towards points that get you to uh, get discounted seats or free upgrades mm-hmm. or uh, hotel stays so it's it's there's ways to like travel hack without having to break the bank and it's all about that priority like you said
0: yeah. Now twenty four year old me was getting no credit card because my credit sucked and I <laughs> you know what I mean and I still I still had like, you know, um oh, for keep sure. a, I keep it a buck, I still had like fucked up credit from like my parents using my name on bills and shit Same. like that. Like so but to your point <laughs> you know what I mean to your point, there are a lot of different ways, a lot of different you know, um, things out there that someone who is enterprising and, and, it, and it could almost even be like a scavenger hunt here where you're trying to figure out, OK, there's this deal. There's this method. There's this thing that I could that I could do. You just have to hustle, I guess is what yep. you're saying. Like, if you're truly interested in that, then there are ways to live that life. You just have to be very intentional about it and you have to hustle.
1: Well, oh, for sure. And, and and excuse me to cut you off. But like there's there's also like letting the des- the discounts determine your destination. Um, if you leave it to from what you're even saying, if you leave it to somebody else planning your trip, that's when travel becomes very expensive. Mm-hmm. Like if you went through a travel agent or if you went through um, yeah, some company, travel company, that's when travel becomes very expensive. But if you hustle and you put a little bit more time in it, that's when you can save hundreds, if not thousands of dollars.
0: When you go to these new places, mm-hmm. one of my concerns also with traveling is food. Like I, I like mm-hmm. to eat and I actually do like to try new things. And so mm-hmm. when you go to a new country, go to a place you've never been before. Are you a person who is just like, you know what? I am just going to explore um, the local cuisine. Do you scout ahead of time in terms of, okay, I heard this spot is good. I heard this spot is good. Like which, or, or is it made more of a combination of both where you, you do like your scout report, mm-hmm. but you also actually play the game too?
1: Yeah, it's a game to it all. I like how you said playing the game. But yeah, I, I definitely do a, a mixture of both. Um, now, I mean, technology, social media, there's so many different um, ways to review a place before you get there. And that was one thing I learned about travel when I first started traveling. I was in Germany. Uh, it was my second time going international. And that was all within like a six month span. But I went to Germany and all of the non-black people planned out their trip before they got there. And so I'm like 20 still. Mm-hmm. And and I'm over here like, like, wait, y'all already planned the trip before we got here? Before y'all? Yeah. And it was like, yeah. Cause me and my friend, we was over there trying to figure out what to do and they already had planned it all out. And I was like, man, that's crazy. So... It that's one thing that I've always stuck with because you you waste time not like asking or trying to figure it out once you get to the destination. If you do a little bit of research before, for the most part, you'll get it together. But yeah, man, when it comes down to food, man, I want to hear like if I go to Japan or if I go to Vietnam, like what's the thing I got to eat here? If I'm in South Africa, what's the one meal like I have to try? So I usually say that and I try it. Um, if I find something that I like, even from some of the first meals, I'll, I'll stick with that. Like I, that might be the the go to meal <laughs> okay. consistently throughout it. But I also do food tours. Like food tours is a great way, um, and they're and they're very affordable. It's a great way to learn about like that country or that city that you're in. Find out how the locals eat. Find out what's good. And you normally are sampling from different restaurants. Um, So you go to like five, six different restaurants and you try their food and their drinks and that that helps you get a better understanding of the place that you're in, but then also their local cuisine.
0: Well, can you help just distinguish like or what distinguishes a food tour from, I guess, a regular tour.
1: Yeah, food tours, like, literally, you're going to, like, five, six different destinations, like, like local restaurants or a bakery. Um, Some people even do, like, beer and wine, like, food tours Mm. or alcohols. But it's, you're going to sample different um, entrees or desserts uh, in different places. So I did it in Italy. It was one of my favorite things to do. So we got to try pizza and pasta and fried artichoke. And this is something that like Italians eat. And then we had like our coffee and we had our gelato. So it was like really cool. And it was like a group setting. It was like five, six of us. And we had a tour guide that took us around to the different neighborhoods. And we walked around and... Stopped into the different local restaurants that they already had pre-selected for us. So,
0: of all the countries that you've been to, all the cities, all the countries, all the continents that you've been to, who has the best food?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> answer it however. You, answer it however you want to. I mean, hmm. I, I can. Well, I'm. To be honest, I, I just I'm. I'm a truest to who I. What I like. I like Korean barbecue, and I like Caribbean food uh, uh, mainly Jamaican. So it's like, that's my go-to period. Uh, the first time I ever had Korean barbecue was in Japan. So it wasn't even in Korea, but <laughs> I've had it in Korea. Uh,
0: <laughs> I mean, it, how's the Korean barbecue in Korea? Is it hitting the way it oh, is? Yeah, it, like it, slaps. Okay. it
1: slaps. Oh okay. man, it slaps, but it's still my favorite. So, I mean, and I was, I was going to be very disappointed. Like I was like, please take me to some spots where, Like, I won't be disappointed when I try it and be like, Mm -hmm. everybody's done it wrong, you know? Um, But, yeah, it definitely still slaps in in Korea. But then Jamaican food, like, oh, my gosh, I love it. I'm from Florida. So, yeah, a lot of Jamaican food.
0: I mean, for me, that question, and and I've, you know, I've been other places. I've been other countries, other Mm -hmm. continents. But New Orleans is still my favorite place in the world to eat.
1: I give you that. Yeah. Okay, you know what? Now I'm thinking to myself, um, I also, Italy. Italy is okay. Like I, I love fun. It. I love like it like yeah. visiting, eating mm-hmm. there. Like oh man, like it was an experience because he was like, wait, the uh, the pasta is not your uh, your main course. It's like between the the appetizer and, and the main course, like what? You eat this before you eat the entree? I was like, let's do this. And it was like people over there fighting over who got the best pasta and, and pizza. Mm-hmm. So yeah, man, that, that culinary experiences, like I got to have the culinary experiences that I got to have in Italy were just like amazing. But I mean, I love Italian food, but I definitely still like Korean and Jamaican. And so one thing
0: I appreciate about you and about your series is that you, you know, you, you do immerse yourself. You know what I mean? You throw yourself in there, you take chances. You know, I'm thinking of like the, like the fish manicure. Is that what it's called? Where you.
1: Where you put your feet in. Yeah. Just the stuff like. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 You might lose a toe. You know what I mean? No, no.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The fish can't do that.
0: (laughs) But. But again, so I'm I'm wondering, like, is that something that I guess that developed that that I guess that sensibility to be like, you know, fuck this, I'm here, I'm just gonna throw myself into the custom, into the culture, or is that something that um is that something that you've always had even before you travel?
1: No, nah, it was it wasn't until I went to FAMU, Florida A&M University. Okay, um, I'm actually rocking a shirt today, I see. I see. which is shocking. Um. But yeah, like it wasn't until I went there and I started realizing that like, oh, snap, like there's there's other cities out here or other people Uh from different places. Like we're not the same. Like like we have this little tiny bubble that you're in. And so that like blew my mind. It also even told me how like. Black people aren't um, mono-ethnic or uh, monolithic, I meant to say. And so that, like, it did. It just started opening up my mind. It started making me be like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, like, let me start, like, challenging or um, pushing the boundaries of, like, what I thought. And so when I started traveling internationally, that's when I really started learning, like, man, there's really, really bigger places or there's other countries out here other than just America. And... Like, my my world became larger, mm-hmm. and I started wanting to learn more. Uh, i never been to a cathedral. I didn't even know what cathedrals were until I went to one. And I was like, oh, this is what these European cathedrals look like? Like, they're incredible. Like, mm-hmm. you're just in awe the whole yeah. time. Or when I'm in Japan, like, seeing people's different cultures and, like, how they do their dances and stuff like that. So it's just, like, it's stuff that just kept developing. I just kept wanting to learn more and... It's very humbling and you have to learn how to humble yourself because I've been to places where uh, I feel like expectations are the killer of joy. And like if you go into a place with like high expectations of something and not a, a flow kind of mindset, I feel like that's where people start having a bad time traveling.
0: Has it been any experience where you're like, man, fuck this? <laughs> you know, what I mean, I'm I'm good. Like, I, I'll, yeah, this is this is y'all. I'm good.
1: I mean, I I think so. I mean, there's definitely been like multiple experiences, and I think some of them are usually around food, uh, okay. because okay. some of these jokers like to bring out stuff. You be like, hey, bro, you know, it's all <laughs> y'all, man.
2: I'm,
1: I'm I'm straight. My stomach gonna be good, like we. Uh-huh. We ain't we ain't on that. But to me, me being plus size or being a big guy, like there's some experiences that I can't even experience because of my size. You know, like my weight limits or size restrictions that actually keep me from doing some of those daring things that I uh, Uh that you might see me do on the show. Um, And even with the show, we've learned how to like modify a lot of these things so that a plus size person could do it. And so that definitely kept me away from some things. So there's still some things that I want to do, but I've also learned how to like push myself to try stuff that I never thought I would even try. Can
0: you give me an example of something that like that like you really had to push yourself to 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 do?
1: Yeah, like rock climbing. Like okay. literally up a a real okay. mountain. Okay. Like I was in the Adirondacks, upstate New York, and literally just my hands and my feet going 75 feet up to the top. And that was something that, I I mean, I did have like a safety rope. So if I fell, I wouldn't just like fall to the ground Mm -hmm. all the way. Um, But yeah, like to, to not know if I could actually do this. And then like even how your body contorts. And even if you look at the, we did it for the show, but even as you see the camera angles, you realize, like, man, I'm like, like, like diagonal on the rock. Like, how is my body even able to do this right now? You're like, what is going on? So it's things like that. Um, climbing or crossing the the bridge in the sky, which was these multi color um, like logs that were like on a suspension bridge, mm-hmm. and they were all tied up, and you had to walk across this thing, and it's over a mile in the sky. And, um, yeah, that was, that was very terrifying. Like that was something I did and was like, ah, I'll never do this again. Like, I was like, this is this is the only reason I'm doing it is so that it shows that other people can do it that look like me. But outside of that, yeah, that, yeah. You won't see me get back up there.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to think of something that I've done where I'm like, you know what? I did it that once and I'm never, ever doing this shit again. it, it so, um, probably about 10 years ago, one of my wife's, uh, friends, um, her boyfriend or husband at the time had a, a birthday party and wanted to go cave diving when it goes for And so we went to the Laurel, Laurel Highlands, Laurel Caverns, which is about an hour outside of Pittsburgh. And we ha- we went down into this cave, probably like of a mile underground, like on our knees and crawling between these crevices. And it, it's like, have you ever seen a movie like The Descent? or some shit like that where they are just like yeah. you know just just beings down at us you, you can't see nothing and I was like you know I never I I'm glad I did it I'm glad I I'm glad I came back to to land and, and I could tell people that I did it but I'm never ever doing that shit again ever
1: Yeah never. yeah I don't see, <clears throat> I mean I've always had a fear of being stuck under under a case Exactly like, they, they would have to like measure out the whole cave, know my body size, measure the whole cave out, and and tell me the direction we're <laughs> going because that's the only way I'm going through. Because yeah. uh-uh. like the thought of getting stuck.
0: And they tell you like if you if you like break your leg or you get hurt, it's gonna it might be like eight nine hours while you're there before they could get someone down to get you back up. You yeah, I mean maybe maybe a day yeah. maybe a day. You know what I mean, and it's just like, yeah, I'm not, and they, and they tell you that shit while you're there. They're like, yeah, they yeah. make you sign a waiver. So it's not like you could. <laughs> everyone's already there. It's not like you could opt out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just made me think about this one experience I had. So we went on. We were doing Croatia. We were doing it by boat, yacht, like like yachts. It was two of my friends' birthdays. And there was this place where there was a cave at, but it was like a more of a grotto kind of thing. And it was beautiful. When Mm -hmm. you got down there, it was great. But they said it was only like a 10, 15 minute hike down. Right. Uh, an hour hour later, we made it down there. So even when I got down there, I was like, oh, snap. If it took me this long to get down here, that means it's going to take me even longer to get back (laughs) up. Right. And like the sun, there was no clouds. Like, I thought I was going to die. Like, I literally, like, called my wife and was like, hey, babe, uh, I think this is it. I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm gone. Because, like, bro, I, I ran out of water. Like, everything. It was that mm-hmm. bad. And it was just stone as well. So, like, there was just, like, rocks and stones. And so, like, that sun was just permeating. And it was like, like, if I make it to this van, I would be I get so <laughs> grateful. But I really did. I thought I was gone. I thought I was a goner. And I was like, I'll never do that again. Nor will I trust young fit white guys ever again. I will never do that. You should never,
0: ever, 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 ever. They be they be chasing death. Like the life isn't life isn't, you know, life isn't exciting enough. So they just invent reasons to like get this close to reasons, death.
1: Reasons and then like I need y'all, y'all need to get y'all timing together, buddy. Yeah. This is this is not no 10, 15 minute hike. I can do that. Mm-mm.
0: It's funny too. Could you talk about how grateful you were when you get back to the van? Like when I came out of that cave, I think we went to like Applebee's. It was the best fucking Applebee's I had in my life. That was like a five star Michelin Applebee's.
1: Come on, come on. you
0: know what I mean? I never, never tasted um, bacon, mashed curly fries so good. or yeah, whatever <laughs> like that before.
1: Yo man, those, hey. those uh, mozzarella sticks were just—they were so crispy. And- uh, <laughs>
0: So one of my homegirls years ago, she went to MIT and she, you know, she used to say that her professors at MIT would tell the students that, you know, we are preparing you for jobs that don't exist yet. Um, and so you are a person who is doing this for a living. You know what I mean? Like you're you're traveling, you're 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 eating food, you're 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 getting, you know, um fish um pedicures and 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 you're you're getting paid for this. Yeah. So How does that feel like in terms of someone who has been able to kind of chart their own path? Not though, you know, obviously this shit ain't happened overnight, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But in terms of someone who has the experience of creating a thing and then just doing the thing for a living, creating your own lane, creating your own path, you know what I mean? Um, Like, do you ever think about just, I guess, the uniqueness of that part of it?
1: I consistently do. And I try my hardest to continue to show gratitude towards it. Um, When I was actually getting started, like the, before I even knew I was doing this, uh, this is summer of 2017, where I told myself, like, I'm going to practice gratitude, like consistently, like that's what I'm going to practice every single day. And that whole summer, that's all I did. And so um, I think to appreciate what I'm doing now If it wasn't for me practicing that gratitude before, I don't think I would be in the positions that I'm into today because a lot of times people uh, won't start something because of they want it to be perfect. And Mm -hmm. uh, I like how one of my friends, uh, she says, uh, launch ugly, like do things like when it's not even like the prettiest, Mm -hmm. Uh, but know that like you will appreciate it later when you continue to work on it and work at your craft. And so I'm very grateful that I was able, I didn't know how I was going to do it just like that mountain. I didn't know I was going to make it to the top of that mountain, but we was going to figure it out. And all I could do is continue to just make steps and strides, not knowing if anybody would um, ever give me the opportunity, not knowing if anybody would ever pay me. Mm -hmm. Um, And to be now, being able to travel to multiple countries to have my own TV show, to have a successful business with employees. Um, it is, it is definitely, um, a monumental thing. And I even get awards now, which is something I never got, not not looking forward to awards. Um, But to even get recognized by my peers and people within the industry uh, has just been amazing as well, because like literally I I don't think I got one award ever in life until I started doing stuff that I wanted to do and started like just persevering and just pushing past uh, just all the naysayers and going for what I wanted.
0: Tremendous story. Jeff, thank you. Thank you for joining us day. It was a, it was a treat. It was a lot of fun. And you gave me some tips. You know what I mean? You gave me, you, I, I think that this conversation might help me work through or make me help me extract some yeah. of the traumas, some of the trauma that that's still lingering with me and, you know, help me kind of just get out there and just immerse myself Yeah. whenever I'm in a new place.
1: And and real quick, man, I I just thank you so much for having me. The one thing I did want to say is even talking about lack is to to even as you do go travel and you are to just continue to just walk out this life is like, how do we live in abundance? Um, And I think that's one of the mindsets that I go through all the time. And like Mm -hmm. a part of my journey is like, how do I get out of this lack mentality into the abundance mentality? And so like just live in abundance.
0: All right, fam. Appreciate you. Thank you. Up next for Dear Damon, we'll be joined by Dr. Bettina Love. But first, Damon hates. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
2: Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all gel fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit www.juvederm.com.
0: All right. So a couple weeks ago, I'm in a coffee shop. I don't drink coffee at all. I'm waiting to get a San Grino and I'm with one of my children. Okay. And there's a person who is behind me or in front of me in line or with me in line. And we're making small talk, you know, whatever. You know, I'm not a big fan of small talk, but it is what it is. And then the person asked me, where does my kid go to school? And I I, I want to tell America and whoever is listening to this, wherever you are, Canada, Jamaica, don't fucking ask that question of a parent, particularly a parent of a young kid. That is sensitive, private information. Because now I am telling you and whoever else is within earshot, of exactly where my children are for seven hours a day, eight hours a day, every day. And I I don't think I need to go into why that is a dangerous or potentially dangerous proposition for a black parent, particularly a black parent in a very white city and a very white country to do that. I don't think that people who ask this question have like devious agendas or whatever with the question. It's just like a random, oh, I see a young kid, I see a parent. I'm gonna ask, okay, where's the kid go to school? But just don't do that. Just stop doing that. Dr. Patina Love is the author of several books, including the upcoming Punished for Dreaming, How School Reform Harms Black Children and How We Heal. Which will be released September twelfth. Dr. Love, what's good?
3: Man, everything is good. I'm getting over COVID, so I'm back.
0: <laughs> yeah, we in the same boat. I mean, it, it's catching a lot of us out here, but you know, it took me a while to get comfortable getting back outside. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I was real conscientious about it. And um I finally let my guard down. Like earlier this year. It's like, you know what? Fuck it. It seems like it's not a thing anymore. And I was fine, I was floating. And then go to NAVJ, come back, bring the plague. And and also, I made my whole, well, not my whole family, but my wife got sick too. Oh, wow. So, yeah.
3: Yeah, same. This is my first time. Oh,
0: wow. Okay.
3: It was my time. It was my time. I've been dodging raindrops for three years. It was my
0: time. (laughs) Well, you know what, though? When you're all healed up and you're back in the burg, whenever you come back, we need to hoop.
3: We have to. That's my first love. And I am always grateful to Pittsburgh and the University of Pittsburgh Uh, for everything. So I love that city.
0: Yeah. How often do you get back here?
3: Probably like once a year, I probably have a speaking engagement or a gig. Okay. I was there last year, around I think February, the University of Pittsburgh athletic department gave me an award. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Next time you're in the city, hit me.
3: I got your number now, so we good. All right.
0: (laughs) Morgan, the producer. What we got this week? Dear Damon, I'm a new student athlete in college who wants to pursue a path to writing. Should I go after this career Sometimes I feel like it doesn't seem like it has much of a future. Now, Bettina, before we even get into this, I want to ask you just about your journey. You know, you hooped in college, you're an academic, best selling author. And so, how did you make that transition from basketball being your first love to now doing what you do now?
3: You know, it's a funny story. So, I didn't start out at the University of Pittsburgh, I started out at Old Dominion. Okay which at that time was the number two school in the country for women's basketball. And I was that cocky, arrogant basketball player who said, you know, I'm not going to the the WNBA. I'm going to the NBA like I was one of those. (laughs) And um, my sophomore year, I had an epiphany. And the epiphany was that I was in all the classes with the male basketball players and there was no women basketball players in my classes And so I started thinking to myself, where is everybody? So I started asking around, like, what classes are you taking? Oh, I'm in chemistry, I'm in pre-med, I'm in journalism, I'm in communication. Me, I was in first aid, outdoor recreation, and indoor recreation. (laughs) And I was like, I don't think this is right. And so I decided to go to my athletic advisor, and I said, hey, I wanna take the classes that everybody else is taking. And he simply said, you're Black, you're from the inner city, you got poor test scores, you're here to play basketball, get out of here. I couldn't believe that that happened to me, and I just became very curious. I became, I wanted to know how could a kid who did everything they asked me to do, who got good grades, who, you know, got to school on a basketball scholarship, number two school in the country, I couldn't believe that, and so... I started to be curious about education. I started to learn about education. I started to research education. And when you start to read, you start to write. And I started writing. I was not a writer. I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be a writer. But I became very passionate about wanting to tell stories about young Black kids from the inner city who grew up like I grew up, particularly in the 80s and 90s. And so the more I read, the better writer I became. That's really how I became a writer. I didn't read my first book. Until maybe 21, 22 years old. And that was the autobiography of Malcolm X. Oh, wow. I didn't grow up reading books and wanting to be a writer. I grew up wanting to be a ball player. And this became very late in life. In my 20s, I started writing.
0: It's funny how, like, you know, you mentioned how the ball players, the men's ball players were like funneled into like the The fisher price (laughs) classes, basically. No offense to people whose majors are physical education or first aid or whatever, but this is what happens at universities where the football players, the basketball players are usually like, okay, well, these are the classes that you take if you're playing this sport. Look, I get it if you're at Duke or if you're playing football for Alabama and you have like a realistic chance of playing professional basketball or football. But if you're at ODU and you're on the men's basketball team, I mean, there are a couple that might, you know, make it to the league or whatever. But the majority of guys in that conference are going to have to get a job. That's right. After they graduate. And so there's so much to be said just about how although the scholarship is a valuable thing, right, and having a degree is a valuable thing, it's just doing these young kids a tremendous disservice to place them, to funnel them in these sorts of yeah. jobs that are basically just, you know, you're learning how to play basketball. You're not learning anything else while you're at the school, except for how to play basketball or how to play football. That's right. Getting back to this question, you know, this person has this anxiety about writing. And I wanted to ask you about your career, because I think that there is this hysteria that exists right now, which is real. Like, I don't want to minimize or dismiss people's anxieties about making a career in media, making a career in writing, because it's fucking crazy out here right now. You know, and people are talking about AI and chat GPT, and the industry is already fucked up. People are already losing jobs. People are already, you know, having to make sacrifices and do certain things that they, they didn't think that they would have to do when they started this career. So I get that. But- I think that there still are paths, mm-hmm. right? There's still opportunity. There's still books being published. There are still blogs. There are still Substacks. There are still digital publications that you can write for. There are still ways that you can write for yourself. You know what I mean? And you know, I think that we have to be honest and we have to be transparent with the challenges about making a career, you know, as a writer. I think that any kid who, again, who is aware of all the shit that's happening and has some anxiety about that, I don't want that anxiety to prevent them from pursuing their dream because it's still a possibility.
3: Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I think it's just really understanding the reality, understanding what's going on right now and how hard the grind is going to be. Yeah. Of course you should pursue it. Of course you should go after it. But don't underestimate what this grind is going to be. Don't underestimate what technology is coming. You always need to be thinking about what's next on the forefront. And how do I make my skills marketable in the current climate that we're in right now? And so, yes, pursue your dreams. You want to be a writer? Be a writer. But don't be a writer not understanding what's going on around you and how you're going to have to ship and you're going to have to pivot to make the kind of decisions that you need to make. I think it's really, really important.
0: You got to be a hustler.
3: You're an amazing writer right now with a podcast. Like you got to have multiple skills.
0: (laughs) You got to have multiple revenue streams. Right. Or be open to multiple ways to develop your craft. That's right. Because that's, you know, yes, this podcast exists as its own entity. You know what I mean? And it's a different form of media than writing, a different way of delivering content. But again, I think that if you, want to pursue a career it's never too early to start thinking about this stuff it's never too early to start thinking about ways to develop your craft it's never too early to start thinking about you know what type of writer do you want to be you know what i mean what, what type of writer you know can you be like I, I liken it to you know you go to the cheesecake factory and they got that menu which is just like the motherfucking bible <laughs> right and i i haven't worked at cheesecake you know before but i would presume that anyone who gets a job there as like a cook has to learn how to make all that shit all that yes all of that yeah and and make it good because if it's not good they're gonna send that shit back and so if you are a young person who's interested in writing i think that it would also be helpful to expand you know now you don't want to be the person that does everything okay and does nothing great there you go you know what i mean But I do think it's helpful to have multiple, to have a bag, basically, to use like basketball terminology, to have like a deep bag, to have like a deep toolkit that you could pull from, you know, so that you could be flexible. Yeah. And you could have more opportunities to pursue different things, you know, so that the hustling actually has like an application.
3: The talent got to match the hustle. Those two things go hand in hand. You got to be talented and you got to hustle. You know, I always say when I'm writing It's daunting to open up your computer screen and see a blank white page. Like, that's a daunting task. Yeah. It's a lonely task. It's an isolating task. But in my opinion, what I am trying to do is fill that white page up with little black people. (laughs) Every letter, I'm trying to fill it up with little black people. And I want them little black people to sing, baby. I want them to be talking on that page. And so I also think you're writing about what? It's not just what interests you. It's also about who do you want to read your stuff? Who do you want to pick up your stuff? How do you want to be represented in the world? Like these are questions you have to be asking yourself as a writer. Why is this important? What are you trying to say that hasn't been said? Or what are you trying to say that's new, that's innovative, that's thoughtful, that's loving and kind? What are you trying to say that's not just... Porn about black people's lives and black people's hardships. How are you trying to say it different? And so I think to be a good writer is to ask yourself a lot of great questions and to try to answer those questions in your writing, because those are the questions that the people going to ask. Why should I give you
0: $26?
3: (laughs) You want me to come off 26? What you want? What you giving me for the twenty six?
0: And that's a really great point about how good writing is asking yourself hard questions Mm -hmm. and finding answers in a text. And even I found this, you know, to be true of myself, where if I'm not actively writing, if I don't have like an active writing habit where I am putting words on the page, multiple hundreds, thousands, even words on the page every day, then I'm not thinking of things the same way. The writing does something, you know, fires up, you know, whatever needs to be fired up in my brain. And it allows me, it it helps me be sharper. It helps me be more conscientious. It helps me be more self-aware. There's no other way for me to replicate what writing does for me. Now, that might not be true with everybody. You know what I mean? But I, I think that people who are called to writing, You know, have a similar mechanism happening um, with them where the writing is how you think through things. And so, again, if you're a young person who is interested in pursuing this as a career, you know, it will be frustrating. It'll be hard, you know, Um, and we're not even talking about trying to find a job, but just trying to find your voice and trying to push it on the page. But if you go in with an open heart and you go in ready to work, and also if you're a motherfucking active reader.
3: You can't skip over that piece.
0: You got to read. You have to be reading all the time. You got to be a curious and voracious reader. And then hopefully those skills will translate into your writing.
3: And I always tell my students, if you're not reading, you don't know that you're not saying anything new. So I have students, oh, and I'm like, well, did you read so-and-so? Ah, you ain't said nothing new. Right. So if you're reading, then you can actually find where the gap is, what hasn't been said, what are the ideas that are here, but we haven't brought up yet.
0: And also, too, and it helps you enhance your craft because, you know, I liken it to Hoopin where, you know, you play basketball and you watch other basketball players and you pick up shit from them. And it's like you're not completely copying someone else's entire game, but you're taking this from here, this from there. And you're, you know, consuming that and you're trying to synthesize that with what you already have you know, to create your own game, to create your own lane. And writing is the same thing. Where if you read and then, you know, you take this from this person and this stylistic thing from this person.
3: you sampling, you sampling.
0: Yeah, you're just taking little pieces from the buffet. You know what I mean? The thing is, you don't want that to take the place of you. What do you want it to do is, again, to find a way to synthesize all of that other shit with your own sensibility, with your own perspective, with your own voice and then boom, you you have what you have.
3: The best advice I've ever gotten was to read for multiple things, to read for style, and then to read for punctuation. Mm-hmm. I remember I spent maybe four or five months just reading for punctuation and getting excited about how Bell Hooks uses a semicolon. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was an older Black man, and I came to him to become a better writer. And he was like, your writing is strong. You just need to read more, of course. And he said, I want you to start reading for punctuation. Then I want you to read the same book and read for style. Then I want you to read the same book and read for tone. And it was one of the best exercises I've ever done to become a better writer.
0: Dr. Bertina Love, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about your new book?
3: Yeah. I got the new uh, Punished for Dreaming, How School Reform Harms Black Children, How We Heal. It comes out September 12th. And, you know, I've been trying to write this book for a very long time. It's a book that I think I've always had in me. So I'm from upstate New York. I'm from Rochester, New York. And I went to a huge high school, um, 2,000 kids My freshman class was maybe 300 students. We had an airplane inside our school. It was huge, it was a vocational high school. And I graduated, half of those students didn't graduate with me, that started out. And I remember walking across the stage, thinking to myself, where did everybody go? what, What happened? And so I've always been curious about my generation and I'm 44 years old. I don't know how old you are, I don't wanna assume. Same,
0: same, 44.
3: 44, come on now. So we 80s babies, we post-civil rights babies, we hip-hop babies. What We were the generation that they created mass incarcerations, charter schools, vouchers, standardized testing. That was created on our backs. We are that generation. And so I wanted to understand how a generation of young people who were called crack babies, super predators, thugs, they called our mothers, welfare queens. They said our fathers and brothers were, you know, thugs and had to be incarcerated. How did that generation, what was our educational story? And so I think that story has been told, but it hasn't been told through the lens of education. So the book looks at the last 40 years of education reform, talking about reform, but also using real people's lives to understand what educational policies did to our generation.
0: Wow. (laughs) <laughs> okay, you heard it. <laughs> you heard it. September 12th, pre-order. Go cop the book, Doctor Between the Love. Thank you again. It's a pleasure.
3: Yes, thank you so much for having me. And I love everything you write. It's funny, it's thoughtful, it stays curious. So thank you for having me on.
0: You know, I did not ask her to say that.
3: <laughs> you did not ask me to say that, but I'm just going to speak the truth. So thank you. <laughs> All right.
0: Again, just want to thank Jeff Jenkins, Dr. Patina Love for coming through great conversation, great show, great topic. It's really fun um, having them both on. I really enjoy both these conversations and I hope that you all enjoy them, too, because it it was a lot of fun for me. Also, uh, Stuck with Damien Young is available wherever you can get your podcast. But if you're on Spotify, um, particularly if you're on the Spotify app, we have interactive questions, answers, polling. So just go on the app, have some fun, knock yourself out. Also, if you have any questions about anything whatsoever, hit me up at, dear Damon at crooked.com. alright you All right, y'all. See you next week. Stuck with Damon Young is hosted by me, Damon Young. From Crooked Media, our executive producers are Kendra James and Madeline Herringer. Our producers are Ryan Wallerson and Morgan Moody. Mixing and Mastering by Sarah gilwell and the folks at Chapter 4. Theme music and score by Taka Yasuzawa. And special thanks to Charlotte Landis. And from Spotify, our executive producers are Lauren Silverman, Neil Drumming, and Matt Schultz. Special thanks to Leslie Guam and Crystal Hall-Stressler.